consistently in any organization that I've been at, whether it's large, global, smaller, more national. When we talk to people about why they leave an organization or why they join an organization, it is most definitely not compensation. Well, you know, you have to make sure that you're being competitive. You know, you can't be uncompetitive, but it is not the reason why people stay. And the number one reason people stay is growth and development. Do they feel like they're being developed and their careers being valued in the organization? The number two reason is, do they feel a sense of belonging? Do I feel like I can be myself and I can be my true self in the organization? Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fintech Leaders, a weekly podcast where we learn from today's global leaders in fintech business and beyond. Coming to you from New York City, I'm your host, Miguel Armasa, and I'm a co-founder of Gilgamesh Ventures, a venture capital fund that backs early-stage fintech entrepreneurs in the Americas. If you enjoyed this conversation, I encourage you to share it and please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your shows so more people can learn about fintech leaders. In this episode, I sit down with Suni Lobo, Chief HR and People Officer at Marketa, a publicly traded fintech that helps companies issue cards with flexibility, control, and scale with an open API platform. Founded in 2010, Marketa has now issued hundreds of millions of cards across 36 countries and works with customers like Square, Klarna, Uber, Coinbase, and JP Morgan. In this episode, we discuss company culture in a remote world. Has a remote working environment made it easier or harder to build community, increase productivity, and level the playing field? How to build a culture of innovation and purpose, and why compensation is almost never the main reason people leave companies? Why is it that at startups, the role is called head of people, but at large companies, we call it head of human resources? Reflections and lessons for leaders building culture in a fast-growing company and a lot more. Hope you enjoy this great conversation with Suni from Marketa. Suni, welcome to the Fintech Leaders podcast, all the way from, I hear, a cold and snowy California. Thank you, Miguel. Thanks for having me. Yes, indeed. We are experiencing a cold wave <laughs> and snow, which we are all unaccustomed to. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm glad you're getting a little bit of a taste of the East Coast. Suni, thanks for joining. We've been planning this for several months, so I'm excited for this conversation. And to learn about you, let's talk a little bit about your background, but specifically, you know, tell us about the people and HR function and how has it evolved in corporations throughout your career? Good question, Miguel. And, you know, I can start with, you know, why did I get into HR or the people function? You know, I my dad was a senior executive and he was a business leader. But one of the things that you know, stood him apart from the rest was his ability to connect with people. So I saw from a very young age how he, you know, knew everyone in his organization. 
ask them personal questions, had a real connection with people right up and down his organization. And he always said to me, you know, be nice to people on the way up because you might meet them on your way down. And it's something that always, you know, stayed with me about the personality he was and how he achieved business success through people. And I, you know, I chose that. I did accounting. I came from a traditional Asian background. My parents said, you want to do management? No, no, no. <laughs> you have to do something tangible. So I did accounting at university. I did a bachelor's and master's and then went on to do an advanced master's in human resources, which was my first love and started my career actually pretty uh, non-traditionally. So, you know, not in the traditional HR path, but as a consultant, as a people consultant. So I did large-scale project consulting for ANZ Bank out of Australia and then went on into a business role after that and then moved on into HR. At that stage, it was just coming out of being called personnel management into human resources and now what we know as people and culture functions. You know, so it's been a, an interesting journey over the last, you know, 20 years, seeing the evolution of the function, but importantly, seeing how the function is now the center of everything that we do in the business world. You know, I don't see HR or the people function as being a support function on the sideline, but being very much in the center and accelerating business results. Help me understand, why is it that at startups, we call it head of people, and at some point, maybe when you go public, and it's head of HR, right? Can you help us understand this, because I, it, that doesn't make too much sense to me. I would say it's, you know, it should be the opposite, right? <laughs> I think, oh, you know, it should be a head of people uh, title. So in my mind, you know, both work, you know, just names and titles for the senior leadership role. But what I prefer is a chief people officer, a chief people and culture officer. And I'll tell you why. When I think about human resources, I think about resources and thinking about people as resources. When I think about people and culture, I think about people being at the center of how we evolve and create businesses and accelerate businesses. It's the only competitive advantage you have, you know. Someone can come up with a product. Somebody else can come up with a great sales team to sell your product. But your unique competitive advantage is always going to be the, your people that you've hired and you've grown and developed within your organization that are connected to your organization. That's your, going to be your differentiator. So I personally like the term a chief people officer or the people function. And in my team at Marketa, we've rebranded ourselves as the people experience function, because we want to create great experiences for people when they come into market. Love it. Love it. And so before we started recording, we we're talking a little bit offline. And I learned that you had this a similar role in a past life, right? Not just in the US, but in countries like, like China. You know, what are the key differences for global execs who you know, do business with multiple cultures. What did you learn about, you know, the people function across different cultures? I think the one thing I've learned through my time globally, and I've worked in eight different countries globally. The U.S. was the last one that I came to about 11 years ago now from Australia. The one single thread I'd say is that people are more similar than they are different. And we often focus on differences and we make that the focus of our conversation or the way we think about people or culture. And the more and more I've traveled and lived and worked in different countries, there's always similarities that you can actually 
hone in on really quickly when you have conversations with people. And that's what drives connections. So whether it is in China or in Hong Kong, Singapore, the UK, you know, Australia, New Zealand, and now in the US and India. I keep forgetting India <laughs> because I was born in India, but I didn't actually work in India till I was sent on an assignment to India from Australia. <laughs> so, you know, it's been a fascinating journey, but I've loved those connections. And I personally think that has made me a much better leader, having that global expertise and that background and having to go into a new culture and trying to be successful in a new culture when you don't know anyone or you don't even know the language, as I discovered in China. Tell us a bit about Rob Marquetta. Probably most of the is going to be familiar with the company. Also specifically about your role, like what are your top functions and you know, what are the main things that you focus on? Well, I know that most people listening in know about Marketa. We're experiencing a sustained period of growth and the company is built on our celebrated legacy of innovation and payments, as most of you know. As we think about expanding our footprint, both, you know, nationally and globally, my team, and we call ourselves the People Experience Team, we help accelerate our business growth. And we do that by building high-performing teams and communities we have a strong emphasis on inclusion and creating a sense of innovation and purpose and most importantly, belonging. So that's what I would say um, my team focuses on. When you think about people and culture and being culture carriers in the organization, we want to focus very strongly on bringing the best talent and teams to bear by being inclusive and hiring diverse talent that feels like they belong within our ecosystem and our community. Yeah, one of my professors in business school was Adam Grant. And I remember he was talking, I'm not going to say the name, but he was talking about a big bank that was figuring out how to stop losing analysts because they were just losing talent. And one of the top execs was like, can we just throw money at the problem? And obviously that's not a solution, right? So salary is not enough. Uh, it is a component. So what what is it that really allows a company like Marketa or any other company to come ahead in this competitive environment where everyone's trying to recruit the best, the absolute best people for the function? It's a good question. And, you know, I think in startups, often when we start our journey, we think that the differentiator is salary. Or compensation, you know, often because we're like competing in this really crazy world, especially in the Bay Area where we have access to a lot of talent, but we have a lot of competition for that talent, right? And I will say consistently in any organization that I've been at, whether it's large, global, smaller, more national, when we talk to people about why they leave an organization or why they join an organization, it is most definitely not compensation. Well, you know, you have to make sure that you're being competitive. You know, you can't be uncompetitive, but it is not the reason why people stay. And the number one reason people stay is growth and development. Do they feel like they're being developed and their careers being valued in the organization? The number two reason is, do they feel a sense of belonging? Do I feel like I can be myself and I can be my true self? in the organization, right? I can really feel like I'm at home, for lack of a better word, you know? And you do get that feeling, a strong feeling of, am I at home? Am I not? And that's what I call belonging. 
And the third is, do I have a community of people around me that I feel I can not only learn from, but changing the world and the system in which I operate? So those are the three things that drive people to stay. I mean, I say a community also, I'm also mean purpose, right? You have to have a sense of purpose. You know, what am I here to be doing? These are the three reasons when I think about all my years in the people function and when I've talked to people, never once has come, come up as the number one reason. So, you know, it's something that we should keep at the backs of our minds that we cannot be uncompetitive. We need to be competitive in the market that we operate in. And it's very important to focus on, you know, growth, career, belonging, purpose, community, which is what will create stickiness for your employees. And on this topic, do you think that a more remote working environment has made that easier or more challenging? You know, it's the million dollar question. And I am of the firm belief that a remote culture, or as we call it, our flexible first you know, methodology, policy, way we're thinking about remote can drive more connection, but it has to be intentional. So we have to be more intentional about how we drive connection, right? In the old days, when we used to go into a brick and mortar office, you know, we took connection for granted because there'll be a water cooler conversation and, you know, you talk about your weekend or a barbecue. While as today, we don't have that ability to just walk to the water cooler and have a conversation. So we have to be more intentional about creating those connections. But we've done that well at market and we've been purposeful about them. And it does drive more a level playing field for people, you know, working anywhere in our offices or in another, you know, in a global company anywhere in the world, right? So in my previous company, we were located in 24 countries globally. And we really changed the culture globally by being more intentional and getting everyone on the same level playing field. Because, you know, you can run into the issue of people at headquarters feeling more connected versus people not in headquarters, not feeling connected and feeling really disconnected, right? And that is something that has gone away now because we're all on a level playing field. You know, we are all tiles in a box. So how do we make that work for people by running employee resource groups, by thinking about energizer programs, by, you know, having a market a talent show, which we have every year that drives people to come in and, you know, showcase their talents. We have a lot of intentional connection opportunities that I think will make has and will make us better from a cultural perspective globally. Now, a lot of this obviously applies really to any functional employee at the company, but I'm guessing there's going to be nuance any on the role, right? So maybe zooming in on more technical type of employees, talking about engineering, which for a company like Marquetta is critical. Is there something that you need to adjust to recruit and, and keep these teams at the company and to keep them engaged? You know, with our FlexFirst policy, remote first employees now represent 58% of our company which is up 12% prior to COVID-19, right? So it is something that we have focused on squarely, but it has also been the reason why we've been able to attract really diverse talent. It has really given us an opportunity to go to places with talent pools that we have not had a chance to tap into before, you know, the pandemic, but also before we went flex first. So that's one thing that I want to say 
uh, it's enabled us to really increase diversity and inclusion. The second thing, I think from an engineering standpoint, if you did a poll of engineers, most of them would say, I actually don't want to see anybody. <laughs> I want to do my stuff and, you know, I want to do it really well. So most of our protect folks have actually said to us they prefer to be remote and they want to be able to have connection when they're doing project work. So they want to feel like they're connected to their peers when they're working on something that is, you know, a team-based solution. So that is what I mean by being intentional. You know, we want to make sure that we get folks together when we're talking about innovation. You know, we have hackathons, for example, that are done completely remotely, but bringing people together from different parts of the organization to produce a product and an outcome for the company. And they're really, really uh, well-received and, you know, people get really excited and we showcase all of the hackathon work through our product tech, all hands and team meetings. So what I'm saying is that, you know, you need to be thinking about your audience very purposefully, talking to them and figuring out what is it that is important to them so that you can provide the opportunity to either come in occasionally to, you know, headquarter or, you know, we had our SKO um, about a month ago, a sales kickoff. And it was so wonderful to see everyone come in. And we're not going to be doing a lot of those this year, but, you know, having that one event at the start of the year really kicked us off when for the rest of the year. So being intentional about when we bring people together and being intentional about how we bring them together is going to be really important. Now, Suni, I'm not an expert, but from my observation over the last, I don't know, call it 15 years or even more, the head of people, the head of HR, has been elevated across many corporations, right? Maybe before there were like, two or three levels below the CEO. And, you know, that has changed. So maybe specifically for you, tell us what is your relationship with the leader of the car, with the CEO, and also importantly with the board? You know, I joke about this, but it's not meant to be a joke. It's true when I look for roles and when people contact me to be a chief people officer at organizations, the number one question I'll always ask is, where does the role report into? Because even today, you have a lot of chief people officers or CHROs in public companies reporting into the COO, reporting into sometimes into legal, you know, other areas of the organization. So my one non-negotiable, I have a few, but, you know, the top one is reporting into the CEO because you cannot impact people and culture change if you do not work closely with the CEO and the board. And I believe that to be true. And I've always had that in every one of my chief people officer roles, always reporting into the CEO. And I think, you know, really innovative and forward-thinking CEOs also will look at the HR function as being a place where they can have more done, not less. So, you know, in a previous organization, I looked after strategy, I looked after operating reviews. All of that fell within the people function because we were the one function that was the glue across the organization. So I think really innovative and forward-thinking CEOs are leveraging the people function to greater depths than not, in fact. So, you know, not reporting to the CEO is something that it would be a real non-negotiable for me. When you asked about, you know, what is the role with the CEO, very simply put, I'd say the head of people or the chief people officer is a strategic thought partner. And I'd put it in this order, business issues and then people and culture. So I often say that I'm a business leader first with a strong focus and emphasis on people and culture. 
you know, there also has to be an element of being a really trusted advisor and a culture creator. And of course, the this role needs to manage board relationships really well and have a really tight connection with the board members along with the CEO and CFO. So I'd say CEO, CFO and CHROs or Chief People Officer being the three main relationships that manage the board relationships really tightly. That's interesting about, you know, also having the structure where you have more responsibilities aside from people, because at the end of the day, context is everything. And other things that are going on within the company, you can be ineffective. We haven't talked too much about culture. And, you know, last year, 2022, there's one huge example of an attempt to change culture. Elon Musk taking over Twitter, having massive layoffs, you know, like 90% of the company or something like that. And, and obviously, one of his main goals was to change, fundamentally change the culture of the company, of a company that has been around for over 15 years, right? Or actually more. Is this possible? I'm curious to hear your reaction and also whether, you know, you've seen other significant changes of culture of companies that have been around for a while. And can comment on Elon and his take on culture, because I don't know when it was in the organization well, but I will say, I'll take it broader than Marquera, because I think this is, you know, it spans across various industries and different companies, big, small, medium size. I always say to my teams, culture is like teaching an elephant how to dance. It takes a long time to really build effective culture, but it also takes a nanosecond to break trust and culture. You know, and in a previous company, I had experienced that firsthand. You know, we really took the company from a very U.S.-centric company, U.S. headquartered company, to a real global company because we had operations in 24 countries. It was a technology company. And it took us about two years of purposeful culture work to build a really strong culture, you know, where we had like 92% engagement rates and we started off at 68. So we were measuring all of the different elements of culture very regularly. It took us a long time. And when we sold the company to private equity, the percentages dropped from 92 back to over 58 in literally about two months because, you know, we didn't focus anymore on culture. It was very much about, you know, can we be rigorous enough in the PE world and, you know, we were really focused on driving that equation versus culture. And we kind of dropped the ball on the culture element. And in a couple of months, attrition spiked from 8% to almost 21%. And culture scores went down from 92 So, you know, it's a great example of you can't purposefully build culture. You have to have a plan and you have to have a North Star and you have to have executive engagement alignment uh, and a strong CEO and both support. But I think the other side of the coin is that you can break that very, very quickly. It takes a long time to build, very quick to break. Sounds like you have to be on top of it every day. And then so Marquette is a fast-growing company, even after going public. Imagine there are differences between, you know, your role in, in a company that has more stable growth versus another one that is going through hyper growth or fast growth. As a thought exercise, if you were going into a room to teach, you know, a class to incoming leaders of people HR, 
what are some of the key lessons you would tell them about their upcoming role? It's a good one. You know, in a fast-growing company, often that's equated to fast-growing headcount, <laughs> you know. So there is a tendency in the people function to focus very strongly on the talent acquisition part of the house, right? You know, how do we recruit the best talent in the market? And there's absolutely a place and time for that. The one thing that I would say to HR professionals is to think more holistically about the whole experience that people have in your company. So I call it hire to retire, right? We focus a lot in a fast-growing company on hiring. And sometimes we, we're like, okay, we hired all these people. And now what happens? <laughs> <You know? laughs> so it's important for HR leaders to be thinking about that whole continuum and the whole cycle and staffing their teams and putting resources equitably through that cycle, right? So not overstaffing one over the other, because it can shift and turn around very quickly, as you can see in the market today. You know, folks are not hiring. And then what you're left with, one side of the house that's overstaffed and not thinking about how you develop your people once you've hired them into the company. So that's the advice I'd give to HR professionals. Think about talent acquisition in a fast-growing organization, but think about the whole operations. How does the people operations function, you know, function well? You know, are people paid on time? Are people's benefits world-class? How does your total rewards function, your compensation function, keep up with the growing demands of, you know, what we're experiencing in the market today? Systems, you know, what does your HRI system look like? Analytics, how do you predict better outcomes to the business, better people analytics, and linking that to business analytics? How do you develop people in the organization? How do you promote them, you rotate them internally, give them more opportunities, um, have customer exchange programs, have employee exchange programs, and then most importantly, you know, keeping culture at the center of it all. You mentioned systems there. Have you seen over the years, and maybe also thinking going forward, some meaningful differences enabled by technology, uh, like new tools, new platforms, Maybe tell us a little bit about that. I think this is a place which is ripe for disruption. So for the folks that are investors <laughs> listening in, HR Systems is a place for disruption. What we've done is we've cobbled together <laughs> good analytics from various disparate sources. But what I've found is when I talk to my team about choosing good HRIs or anal analytical platforms, I use the words cream of the crap, which is not very, <laughs> which is not very kosher. But unfortunately, that's what's going on in the market today. You know, it's ripe for disruption. We need good system support. And I'm waiting for the next wave of investment that I can do to support this effort. We're not there yet. Love it. Love it. I'm going to be paying close attention. And we actually at Gilgamesh Adventures, we invested in a company called Worky. And it's a little bit like Gusto or, or Just Works for Latin America. And we're looking at that space closely. So when you think, before I let you go, Sunny, when you think of your career, you know, and you think of those people that have been helpful and consequential in your journey, is there anyone that comes to mind? So many. We rise on the backs of each other's shoulders. And I firmly believe that there's something I'm, I, I'm very passionate about doing as a leader myself. In my career, I think the people who have been most, you know, kind of pivotal, folks that I describe as sponsors, because often we seek out mentors and, you know, coaches, which are really important too. But I had 
you know, kind of stumbled across sponsors in my career who were self-appointed sponsors for me. <laughs> and they're people that will talk about you and promote you in a room where you're not present. That's the key difference between a sponsor and a mentor. And I've had the benefit of having those folks in my life. And I think the most pivotal moves that I've made are global moves, without a doubt. So I've said I've lived in eight countries. I think the most, I think, scary move that I made was to Beijing at a time when there was, you know, everything was in Chinese in Beijing. I didn't speak the language. I'd come from a largely English-speaking background. And it threw me in the deep end, you know, and I had to learn to swim. And I deliberately sought out those experiences when they were, when I was tapped on the shoulder for them, you know. So that's the other thing I'd say to folks. Don't wait for things to come to you. If there's something that's exciting and looks like an opportunity that is right for the organization, create the opportunity. And that's been the second pivotal thing in my career. I've always created what I've wanted rather than applied for a job, you know? So those are the two things I would say have been pivotal moments for me. So Nate, I think we have all learned a lot with this conversation. It's a perspective we don't get to hear too often in this podcast. So thanks for joining us and stopping by. And, you know, I hope our next conversation is in person. I'm looking forward to it. Gracias. Thank you so much. <laughs> thanks for tuning in. And I hope you enjoyed this great episode with Suni Lobo, Head of People from Marketa. If you want more interviews, make sure to subscribe, follow, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever you get your shows so more people can benefit from this great episode. It helps and truly means a lot. And if you have any suggestions or thoughts about the show, just drop me a line on Twitter or LinkedIn. Signing off till next week, I'm your host, Miguel Armasa.